guys, welcome back to Generation Vex, the podcast where we discuss and explore literature by writers of colour. We'll occasionally, regularly, regularly, take a detour into the arts and popular culture. And no matter the topic, something's always got us vexed. I am Vanessa Fisher. I'm Sharon Rose. And I'm Stephen Snowden Sodje. Generation Vex is produced with the support of Green Door Pictures. Woo woo! Woo! <laughs> As some of our listeners may know, we have taken a break after our first season. However, because of lockdown in the UK due to COVID-19, we wanted to get together virtually to talk about the books that we have been turning to for inspiration and entertainment during this difficult time. From day one, our primary objective has always been to champion the stories of black writers and writers of colour, and the recent tragedies in the news are only the latest in a string of reminders of how important it is to keep carrying that banner. We at GenVex support the Black Lives Matter movement all over the world, and we hope to see this wave of support translate into tangible, positive change. Yeah, definitely. And culture doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, For the longest time, the world has consumed black culture, songs, fashion, stories, and more without recognizing the humanity of the people that created them. With that in mind, we wanted to create an episode about our lockdown reading, celebrating and supporting black writers and writers of color as always. So, how is everyone? Yeah, good. I mean, this is kind of crazy, right? So just for a little bit of a peek behind the curtain for everyone listening, we are currently dialing in on a uh, Google Hangout. Yeah. Other other Zoom platformy things are available, I'm sure. But um, (laughs) so we're looking at each other for the first time in... How long, Months. guys? Yeah. Months. Very long. It's been, yeah. it's been a in minute. A, yeah, very, yeah, very long, long time. time. Yeah. Although, um, you guys, little shout out to your hustle during lockdown. You guys did um, oh, yeah. Town of London, right? Yeah, we, we, yes, we were we there did. on the same... We were there at, in the same <laughs> slot. Like, we both had the last slot of the day. So Beautiful. that was nice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, Turn Up was one of those things where... Um, a couple of people decided that it was so important to bring black artists together and to showcase, um, especially for the West End, that um, black creatives and black artists are actually, there are so many of us. And a lot of times we hear the narrative that, you know, they can't find a black singer or they can't find a black performer or they can't, do you know what I mean? And it was just so nice for um, Ryan Carter and um, Nicole Raquel Dennis to just be like, hey, there are so many of us and here we are and we're just going to sh- have mm-hmm. sort of video receipts <laughs> for you um and it was just <laughs> so lovely to have a full concert the entire band were people of color um and the the people behind the scenes were people of color as well we had loads of people of color behind the scenes and then we had um the performers who were people of color so it was just a wonderful wonderful thing there was such range it was just incredible and it was we know we we possess that amount of range but it was nice to to show it to everyone else 100 for sure for sure yeah it was lovely and there's been there's been a few things like that haven't there i feel like kind of um in a lot of ways as kind of terrible as as COVID has been and lockdown has been, it has mm. forced creativity in a lot of like a lot of people, and people are kind of finding ways to circumvent the lockdown, you know, to to, to get around it and still manage to be creative, still manage to connect with each other, still manage to sort of produce art. Although, as I keep seeing people say, which I think is so important, if you're not feeling that, and if you just need to like take a minute, you know, the need of sort of feeling super productive in lockdown has sometimes been, I think, is one of those moments where you're like, God, I should be writing. Yeah. Now. A novel or I should be you know doing a screenplay <laughs> or something and actually yeah. I had a friend of mine I was chatting to a friend of mine about feeling not that productive and she just said to me she was like you're not on a writer's retreat you're in a global pandemic <laughs> you know yeah and there is a big <laughs> difference in in what you should in what you should feel is like is successful productivity if you get up and you just go about your day and then you can tick off another day done like that is productive and you are looking after yourself so it's been it's yeah. been it's been interesting. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for me. I don't know about you guys. It's literally been a roller coaster. Yeah, man. Like it's literally been sometimes you know, it's day to day assessing how I feel day to day and sometimes it's literally hour to hour. Mm-hmm. Like I could be laughing at one yeah. hour and then I could make the mistake of going mm-hmm. online to Twitter and I can be miserable as sin and then I can be hungry and I'm literally (laughs) all the different all of the different emotions yeah it's forcing us to be present and 
And it's really weird because life in general, you're not promised the next day and now we feel it more than ever. But I I know that there is joy in being present, but sometimes I don't want to be that present (laughs) all the time. You know what I mean? I really just want to be ignorant and just enjoy that. And I'm not, this, this time is not allowing us to do that. So, uh, guys, coming together today, I think we, we had a little bit of a chat before and we kind of we really wanted to, to talk about some books that had kind of got us through the early stages of lockdown, especially with, as we've previously mentioned, all the stuff that's going on with Black Lives Matter, the yeah. increasing sort of global and news level awareness of the, the you know, tragedies and the atrocities that have been that have been going on, like systemically and sort of personally with um, black people across the world. And I think maybe now's a good time to kind of talk about the two categories that we kind of wanted to talk about books yeah. in that. Um, should we kick things off? So we were thinking about maybe the books that we've been reading for uh, inspiration or reading as activism, and then the books that we've also been reading to take a break or the books that we've been reading for joy. Um, but in terms of uh, reading as activism, uh, what kind of stuff have you guys been reading? The first one that I just have to obviously mention is why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Of course. By um, Rennie Addo Lodge. And I mean, this is, it's literally such, it's a Bible right now um, for a lot of people. I think, um, before I even get into the book, one of the most interesting things for me about this book is timing. And mm-hmm. uh, it started off as a, she wrote a blog post in 2014 with the, with the same title and that got so much traction that she then in 2017 wrote the book and it's now mm. in 2020 that there isn't anyone really that doesn't know about this book mm. um and i just think it just speaks to when people are ready certain things you can do and you can create but it's not until people are ready to um consume it that yeah. that it really has taken on a life of its own i mean um renie Lodge took a twitter break and actually came back to twitter to say wow, thank you all for buying this book. I see that a lot of you are are buying it, but also, which I loved, she was like, please, can you donate some of the funds to this? Or also, can you try and buy from independent um, booksellers rather than from the obvious? You know, something that she said, which really, which really like shocked me and I didn't, I hadn't thought about it at all until she put a post out about it. She said, since I published this book, Every time there has been a highly publicized uh, murder of a black person in the news, I have received a big royalty check Wow! because okay. loads of people suddenly like come out. And, and she said, and it actually feels, she, she said something basically about how she feels kind of conflicted about that feeling mm. because obviously on the one side, it's like, this is mm. the book that is going to be kind of her her gift to the world and will continue to kind of come back to her for the foreseeable but it it is going to be brought back every time something kind of traumatic happens in the news and she she said that she um whenever that happens whenever she gets a a, a post she, like a a, a big hmm. royalty check she donates some of the money to um you know appropriate charities but it was such an interesting thought for me about how how creating something like this book which is so powerful and so important for so many people but will also continue to tie her to yeah a negative potentially negative thing in society and constantly be a reminder of that for her which must be such a a difficult conflict yeah it's bittersweet like this whole entire thing is like it's so i think one of the the things i love about the book is that it focuses so heavy on um the racism in british history because you know the uk seems to find itself find itself exempt from racism Mm -hmm. and it's so happy to focus on the usa so i think it's such a rude awakening for so many that have had the pleasure of ignoring um the the british past but um yeah one of my favorite things is that it focuses so heavily on that and it's also so logical and it hits you with hard facts rather than emotion absolutely emotion is good but when you're appealing to people that don't get it facts just get through easier it's it's difficult to dispute them so i think it's a it's a bit of sweet moment because yes you are educating people and that's great and you're hoping for change but it's still rooted in so much pain mm. Mm. the whole thing is even even if you deal with it in facts and not emotion even when you deal with the hard facts of it it's, it can be really difficult to swallow so i'm happy that the book is 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 selling um i'm happy that people are trying to learn or seemingly trying to learn but again it's just such a shame like i was saying about turn up it's such a shame that we have to do all of this to just beg to be treated equally 
yeah in terms of you saying that you know we have to do so much in order to kind of ask to be treated equally and kind of beg to be treated equally another one of the books that i uh, that i was reading during lockdown is uh, natives by carla and yeah. something that he says really early on in that book which i find mm. i it like really hit me um and it was something that really kind of surprised me he opens his book with a really interesting observation. He says, I did not particularly want to spend a portion of my lifetime studying these issues, referring to race and class. It was not among my ambitions as a child, but I was compelled upon this path very early. Um, and it's basically, he's kind of saying that like, actually he, in the book he sort of talks about when he was younger, he wanted to be an astrophysicist and he really wanted to do, you know, like science stuff, but continually being like coming up against racism and classism being from a working class family being a mixed race guy he he was pushed along this way where it's like i have to defend my existence so mm. i need to have the mm. tools at my disposal to do that and there's a there's a quote which i can't i'm sure i've heard but i can't remember who said it or where it's from but it was something along the lines of like imagine what all of the great scholars of blackness could have achieved if they didn't have to justify their own existence all the time oh, god like, you know, god yeah and it's so and you wow. know carla is so right there like he's a real smart dude with the real ability to kind of make subjects understandable and interesting to people and if he didn't have to teach everybody not to be racist all the time imagine what else he could be teaching honestly, us, you know, what he could honestly. Have studied or discovered or it's insane like it, on on that idea of what we could be doing instead of having to prove like there's a quote in a in natives um <clears throat> which where he talks about the first time he saw like the shooting and the killing it was like a movie that he'd watched about apartheid and he said it was the first time he'd ever seen like black people being killed like that and he asked his mum you know mummy why are these people being killed and he was like it was his first experience of how cheap black human life could be or how mm. cheap black human life is seen as and I was like oh my goodness like I started thinking is that what leads to like the desire of black people to wear expensive things our need to buy expensive things have expensive things on our bodies so that when people see us they'll place value on our lives and I was like like you just saying that just made me think imagine how much more successful and how like wealthier in terms of real wealth in terms of generational wealth um our people would be if they didn't spend time trying to put value on their lives because our lives have been cheapened over generations and time that's really interesting um you know that you're talking about bodies because in mm. um another another book <laughs> that we were that we've been looking <laughs> at is um she she okay so Efwe is her her mum is Ghanaian and her dad is Jewish white and yeah. um she discusses the fact that her parents decided to give her a very African name, yes. which is interesting considering the fact that she actually couldn't pronounce it yeah, for a exactly. long time herself. Um, and I had the pleasure of um, producing an event actually that earlier this year that was honoring um, Efwa. And when I met her, I had the book, I had the British book and I was like, um, I said something Oh, flippant like really love the book you know just an, and it, the book had not even been opened right and it's screaming cut to cut to months later I got her to sign it and cut to months later with all the notes that I've made in it I've completely defaced the book like she obviously bless her heart probably thought about me bless her heart she hasn't read this book yet but what I meant was I just love you and I because I'd watch all of her interviews and things like mm -hmm. that but anyway to, to link to Sharon's point, um, there's a there's a chapter in the book called Bodies, and she talks about um, black bodies. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but during this whole Black Lives Matter movement, there was a post going around, it, very graphic, but it was essentially saying targeted at white women because you know they've had a, they had 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 a very difficult few weeks with the spotlight yeah. being on them with the whole Karen <laughs> thing and everything like that and it's basically said something along the lines of if you date black men you should be speaking up about issues that are affecting black men and I looked further into that and in in the in the um in the book she has as I said a chapter called bodies and she talks about a sex party called the, the black man's fan club yeah Oof. and it's Oof. where white couples go specifically to sleep with or watch their partners sleep with black men and she talks about the hypersexuality of, of, of the black men and the black bodies. And she has a quote and it says, um, stereotypes of black men and other ethnic minority men as sexually threatening on the one hand and sexually desirable on the other are two sides of the same hypersexuality myth. And she goes further into talking about um, like um, 
Sarche Bartman or Sarah Bartman, however you know her as, being enslaved and in the nineteenth century and her genitals being dissected and 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 basically being reduced to her sexual parts. And the whole chap the whole chapter is really talking about the savagery of black people and Mm. how they are reduced to being subhuman and if they can be reduced to subhuman that's why it's so easy for them to be brutalized as much as they are because they are not human Mm -hmm. and it's a fascinating chapter and I just think it it explains to an extent the way that people have used science to explain why we as black people are less than and I don't want to say it's it makes it understandable for me but I can see why it's so easy for people to disregard us, to love us, to love our culture, to love what we produce, but discard our bodies. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the thing is, the the news on that is like cyclical. Like it it comes again and again and again and again. And you know how people always talk about like fashion always comes back. Like it's the same thing with the news about black people and blackness. It happened mm. in the same way in the fifth in the 1500s and again in the 1900s do you know what I mean and it's so repeated that it becomes ingrained into people's ideals and into like the discourse of the time yeah. and that's how people can get comfortable with the idea of like sexualizing blackness or being intimidated by uh, a strong black woman um yeah or a, a black woman who looks a certain way or, um, and so I think it's something that's comfortable and in people's yeah. systems. And up until we break that cycle, um, there's not gonna be a change in my opinion without trying to sound pessimistic, but yeah. I agree. I think both uh, natives and British, something that I was really struck by was how, n- how much British history we didn't get taught, you know, as when we were children. Yeah. Like, and the and the idea of how much British history is Black British history is is you know Im, imper, imperial British history is the is the Commonwealth's British history, um, and it's something that I think is increasingly relevant now with um, the arguments around pulling down statues and the arguments around you know if you mm. whether or not taking down a statue is forgetting our history. Where um, yeah. whereas actually um, what Akala and Efua both really highlight in their books is that so much of our history has already been willfully removed from our cultural memory, mainly because mm. it feels it, yeah. it, it benefits structural whiteness, kind of white Western white perfection mm. yeah. for those elements of history to be removed. You know, um, there was something that I really enjoyed in British about um, Efua talking about her and her friends' joy in discovering pictures of Victorian black women in like high society yes. clothing with their natural hair out. and. She said there mm. were images that she'd never seen before growing up. And, you know, these are people who've been educated at the top private schools. And then she went to Oxford, you know, and yet the, this is the first time in their sort of 20s and 30s that they are realizing that people like them with kind of quote unquote unprofessional hair, you know, have been mm. around for longer than anyone would let them know. And she said she said um, something which really stuck with me, which was. I'd never consciously lamented the lack of women who looked like me in historical images and who seemed in control of their bodies and identities. It didn't occur to me to miss something that I didn't know was available, which I think really feeds into the idea of kind of like what is actually kind of happening now, which is colorblind and also more importantly, colorful casting for period dramas and for TV and kind of moving towards a sense of a more diverse history and acknowledgement of the fact that people pre-1950 there were people of color in the western world doing things living life existing i mean it's just it's such a shame that like that um part of history like peter fryer who's a historian kind of talks about um in his book staying power the history of black people in britain talks about mid 18th century like people who for instance there's a guy called francis barber who was a a slave Mm. from jamaica and he came uh, with a slave owner but was eventually freed in in his will and he became a secretary to a guy called samuel johnson and then ended his days as like a a village schoolmaster and then there's like Mm. images that they have of like 200 black people meeting in a pub in Westminster um (laughs) like basically having a party and having a great time this is like mid 18th century and the image of 200 black people in Westminster at a pub like you would never have pictured that 
at no. all but it was something that happened and in fact like he Peter Fryer mentions that these guys were paying five I think five shillings to enter this pub which would mean that they would have been making money um, yeah and you know if they're slaves they even wouldn't have been earning money think, and even yeah. that is such a crazy thing to think of so yeah I just think the idea that there was no there were no black people um at that time is just so weird and the idea that people <laughs> what I tend to hear when people are talking about immigration and their their despise of of people being in their country and just to be like let's go back to the to the to the britain we knew to the britain that right. was and it's like mm-hmm. which britain is that because yeah. people were hanging around fleet street who looked like me in the mid 18th century <laughs> so so what are you talking about so it's very I mean, weird what what i will say though something something that i read in natives that that blew my mind and also kind of maybe feeds into why people feel that they are able to say you know the britain that was and that that like the good old days meaning a whiter more um you know empire-minded version of britain um mm. was the thing that akala um, talks about which was a government program called operation legacy um and so oh. he, he talks about this uh, this um state intelligent agencies and foreign office um ministers conspired to this is a quote from the book to literally burn bury at sea or hide vast amounts of documents containing potentially sensitive details of things down things done in the colonies under british rule things that might embarrass the government or show racial or religious intolerance were destroyed and he talks about like hundreds of thousands of documents that dealt with you know the atrocities that were happening under slavery but then also more recent things and you know police um like unprofessionalism and things like that that have all been that were destroyed in the names of sort of keeping the image of the empire as pristine as possible and i think i don't know i don't know about you guys but reading reading these books definitely made me realize that it's education that is kind of this the most important. yes it was like the same when i saw the video the video of, of of the officer with his knee on george um george floyd's neck when i read um these books what it is is it's um you know when you know something but you you can't explain it and you can't prove it and then you get given the proof it doesn't make me feel better but it's like the whole black community went see this is what we've been talking Mm -hmm. about and now no one can dispute it now you guys deal with it and we're gonna go heal and that's how it felt it felt like your your abuser has been caught and now you don't have to keep arguing whether or not it's true. Now we can argue with how we're going to deal with it. Um, something that I found about all when reading all three of these books was that um, I, I really appreciate Rennie's voice as a, a black, dark-skinned woman being able to mm-hmm. talk about these situations, especially British, because we're not often given the spaces. And I think something like um, Akala and, and Efwa are in unique positions whereby they are biracial and products of diversity. For and sure. they're still arguing the fact that the UK is, is not fair and true within its claims of being diverse or racially tolerant. And I think, um, yeah, they sit in really great positions where they can just reach people that someone that's dark-skinned, black and female may not. Even mm. the, the, the title of Why Am I Longer Talking to White People About Race, people argue about that for half an hour before they can even get to the content of the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think what I've witnessed, especially, you know, we're talking about this time and saying that a lot of white people are coming to terms with it. I think a lot of black people have too. And I think also a lot of mixed race people have, and they've been forced to have really difficult conversations within their own families, which has been really, really interesting. And they've come forward and spoken about situations that have affected them. Um, I wondered, Stevenson, how it's, I know you identify, you are biracial, identify as mm-hmm. biracial, correct? Yeah. Uh, I wonder how this time has been for you. Because Ethel talks about in the book um, about when you're mixed race, a lot of the time you get, you feel like you have to choose a side. You're either black or white. Although you present as, if you're including the one drop rule, you present as not white. I wonder how, the, how these conversations have been for you, if you're um, happy to discuss that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, it's been it's been it's been interesting actually. My so my mum's white, my dad's black, um, but my mum has always she's been very aware of kind of the responsibility, I suppose, of having a child who is non-white, and has been she's always been very good at keeping right. me kind of connected to the Nigerian side of my family, and and 
although you know she is also like a middle class white woman from a small town that is predominantly white like she would be the first to acknowledge that there are there are inherent kind of prejudices and things that she has learned she's is very open to kind of unlearning and and talking about those things and i think it's been quite interesting watching her have like myself and my sister who are two you know mixed race kids coming to terms with that side of ourselves and kind of delivering her sort of being like oh read this book look at this article did you see this and she's kind of like oh actually yeah i didn't really consider that i didn't really consider this it's you know it's really interesting that being um you know having these extra elements of your otherness and how they affect you but she like she's been really really open to that um and then similarly on the other Mm. side kind of my nigerian family it's a very it's it's interesting i suppose because and this is something that i was going to ask you guys like i think there is a there is a safety and a security in being in, in on my sort of the black side of being fully black that at least when you're other there is a there is a place where you can still be a majority like within their house my dad's one of 10 and like you know so we'll have big family gatherings where where you feel very safe in your kind of africanness or your nigerianness and and you can look around and go like yeah we are a minority in this country but we're kind of our experience is unified in this room or in this part of london or in the you know when yeah. you go back to nigeria that there are elements and pockets of that so it's been quite interesting talking to them and sort of and seeing them feel more represented in mainstream media and more seen in the mainstream media like for the first time really or you know for yeah for the first time in a long time and and kind of having that conversation yeah it's it's been it's been interesting but my, both sides of my family are very are very open to it you know I think yeah there there's it's quite an interesting kind of conversation especially in um natives both natives and british i don't know about you guys but there were a lot more memoir than i thought they were going to be before i you know before i came across them i thought they might be drier i thought they might be like this is all of the ways that the 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 monarchy and that the you know the world has been like constructed in a certain way but actually both of them really really go into how the personal is affected by the political mm. and I've, I've found it very interesting listening of like reading to a car reading carla's upbringing and the way that he had kind of you know quite a racist grandfather and then like people who were less overtly racist but were still very unable to kind of fully articulate the right words because they didn't have all the right terms um and yeah i thought that was that was really interesting and i guess my family are a bit more a bit more unified although there's definitely you know misunderstandings that go across but um no yeah this time has been interesting there's also that as well like it's um again in 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 british she talks about the fact that her her husband sam who's a black male talks about how privileged you must be to write about race like black people (laughs) where i'm from we don't write about race we just Uh experience it and we just are it so i think there's so many different sections of, of this of where you sit being black being british being biracial being african being caribbean whatever it is so Mm. um that's been a great type thing for me to learn during this time is that we're not all having the same experience. Yeah. At yeah. All. Even if you are of the black race, we're all having completely different experiences in this. Um, okay, guys. So obviously on our journey of self-discovery and throughout this whole period, um, of lockdown we have been reading for activism but we've also been reading for joy um so i wanted to ask you guys stevenson and vanessa what books have you guys been reading for joy something to get your mind off of instagram and twitter and uh-huh. social media all of um, i've been reading i mean i've been reading lots of different things but um a book that i read recently on a recommendation from my sister which is it's a really interesting book it's by a guy called andre alexis he's a canadian writer uh, but he's a black guy, um, and it's called Pastoral, um, and it's kind of, it's basically, it's a complete, like, gear shift from everything that's going on in the world. Lovely. It's this absolutely gorgeous, um, it's not too long, it's about about 250 pages, um, uh, and it's basically, it's just like this beautiful kind of elegiac um, discussion of a small town in Canada, this really, um, this beautiful little farming community. It's set in the modern day, but it's one of those towns that like, um, you know, it feels like time kind of forgot. They, you know, they live in the modern day, but it could be in the 1950s. It could almost be in the, like the 18th century. And a, um, the protagonist, kind of the protagonist, is a a young priest who moves to the town to to like take over the parsonage. And um, he's struggling with his faith and he's struggling with his idea of like what God means to him, what his relationship is to God. 
and he comes from a bigger a bigger city in um, Canada, moves to this small town. And by moving to this small town where everything is very related to the seasons and about sort of like death and rebirth of, of crops and animals and livestock, he kind of reacquaints himself with the idea of nature as the divine and God as a sort of um, not necessarily kind of someone that comes down from on high and punishes people, but as someone who just nurtures and grows. And, and it's a story that's told through looking at four or five characters in the in the towns very small mundane kind of um life life things that are happening there's a guy in the town who who works in the parsonage who is just um a man who had a kind of a strange life and then came here for for relaxation and how he interacts with people and then there's two young lovers who have grown up there and the, the girl kind of longs for a bigger city life and the boy is very comfortable just being in this town and it's it's amazing. It's such. It's it's like the absolute peak of a, like a literary fiction book in that nothing really happens and yet everyone is like left completely changed and the language is really beautiful and it's just it's it was such an interesting reminder that black kind of like we were talking about about what Akala was saying about what could I have done if I didn't have to if I didn't have to study mm. race. It's like you know when black people don't always have to write about black pain or even being black. It's it's a story about being human and the struggles that everybody has with that. And it's oh, it's absolutely stunning. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Wow, so, that sounds great. I realize um, I just like preached about that for a solid minute. No, no, it no. sounds good. You, well, you've sold it. I hope, I hope they're paying you for the, for the <laughs> <Yeah>. promo. <laughs> um, I think when we were recording our, Stevenson, when we recorded the Murky episode, I realized then that I really don't read enough um, fiction. I read uh -huh. a yeah. lot of nonfiction. Um, and after reading all these activi activist-type books, I just realised that I needed a break. My brain needed a break. My soul mm. needed a break. Mm. So even though I've had I've had Queenie by um, Candice Carty-Williams, um, I've started reading that now. And even though I've had it for so long, um, yeah. it's just been with all my books. And I've started reading that now, and I'm really enjoying it. So I won't talk too much about it because I'm still very much in the early stages, but uh -huh. I am really, really enjoying that. And, um, yeah, it's really a really gorgeous book. And also um, Between the World and Me. So I read that, actually, towards the end of last year, actually. I got it in... Again, talking about time, I actually read it, started reading it in 2015, wasn't ready to read it then. Mm. And then I listened to it, the audiobook, when I was in New York last year and really, 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 really enjoyed it. And since mm. this whole thing's been coming up, I've recommended it to every black man that I know. It's essentially, it's by mm. um, Ta-Nehisi Coates and it's a, an open letter to his son about being a black man in America. And I think it's so beautiful because over this time, I've had so many conversations with... I always have these conversations with my black female friends, but with my black male friends, I've been having deeper conversations around race and how they feel in society. And they've been having it with each other. Many of them have cried during this time. Wow. So I think it's a really, yeah, I think it's a really nurturing book, especially with this rhetoric of a lack of black fathers within the community. I think it really helps them to feel heard. And I think it's nice that he just spills so much emotion onto the page. And I think it's great as a black man to take that in from when I've spoken to my black male friends about it. So those mm. are the two books that are high on my list at the moment. And um, also Candice has just won the British Book of the Year, hasn't she? Yeah. Which is so exciting. Um, and also, also about Ta-Nehisi Coates, he was awarded the this this thing in America, which I find is such a... Like it's such an aspirational thing just because of the name and it's it's like it's me being really bait but it's just he was awarded the MacArthur Genius Grant um, and so oh, he, really? he can be like he can be like yeah I'm a genius certified <laughs> like, I'm yeah. just like oh that is like, that is a goal I won the award I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah so I'm somewhat of a genius some may say I mean yeah. I didn't say it but a lot of other people did say it and that's you know that's what I that's what it. you want isn't it <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big um, fan of him. Yeah, and he also writes... Um, I was about to talk about the fact that he wrote a really good run on the Black Panther comics recently in Marvel, which was just, oh, like, really? incredible. Yeah, so the Black, Black, Black Panther, for me, is, like... it's Obviously, it's just incredible, and the film the film is, like, absolutely a an event in time. But for the, obviously, yeah. for the longest time, it was written by, like, white guys. It was invented by Stan Lee. Um, mm, and yeah. Ta-Nehisi Coates, like, took a... He took this amazing... Um, he did an amazing run on it a couple of years ago and kind of kick-started the world and 
a lot of it was kind of in conjunction with the film I don't know whether they were doing kind of discussion at the same time but a lot of the stuff that you see in the film was expanded on a lot in that and then he did another like a sister comic that comes out called The World of Wakanda and um, oh it's absolutely stunning and it's just a really wow it's exactly the level of kind of cerebral comic book stuff that you'd expect from a guy who is a certified genius but it's also like so wow. readable it's so exciting there's a really in the world of Wakanda the there's a really amazing um, same-sex love story between two of uh, Dora Milaje you know the like the king's guard yeah. um, mm. and it's like a conversation about them and they're the kind of protagonists and so there's like it's really great yeah but he's wow he's a good dude please send us the link man send us the yeah. link yeah we'll do we'll do because I'm a big fan of his work so yeah I really yeah. love to to read that and i i've i've seen him in a few interviews and he just seems like the coolest yeah. geekiest person in the world <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah, like yeah 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 i'm here and for he's that so, like, he, he seems so comfortable with it he's just like this is yeah. literally who i am it's great. Yeah. yeah i love that someone said someone said um their dad advised them to marry a geek because geeks will run the world and <laughs> it's so true it's true. If, only, it's true if only we'd known that in secondary school honestly <laughs> honestly what are you too busy running joy? after the bad boy. Um, okay, for me... <laughs> An insight into Sharon Rose's life there. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm not okay. talking any further on the topic, personally. <laughs> okay, let me just keep my mouth shut. Um, okay, so right now I'm reading Children of Blood and Bone, and I know I am late. I am so late to the party. Um, but mm. Children of Blood and Bone by Tommy Adiemi honestly has blown my mind. Um... I haven't read um, fantasy fiction since Harry Potter. <laughs> uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And it, so, it, so it's been a while and I've remembered why I loved it so much. Um, she basically writes about, um, in, the, in a similar way to what Bernadine Everisto did, if you guys remember that episode that we did. Um, I remember. <laughs> yeah, basically Tommy Adeyemi um, kind of, has her main protagonist character called Zeli, who's the daughter of a great magi mm. named Zeli Adabola. And um, Zeli is kind of going through life, living um, in a country or in a world that's been sort of split apart um, between people who believe and, and lived magic and people who don't believe in magic and people who want to destroy magic. And so now Zeli is like living her life trying to remember a world with magic and she's sort of fighting for that. And it's not until um, a chance meeting that she has with the princess, sorry, the current king who hates magic, um, Mm. that her story like starts to just explode and it goes further and further. But um, what I love about Tommy Adeyemi is like Bernadine Evaristo, like she's able to go into the mind of loads of different characters and speak through them. Yeah. and so it's not like, a, you know, she's not a narrator kind of narrating the story. Every single character narrates this story in such an incredible way. Um, and so I would absolutely advise you guys to read Children of Blood and Bone. If you just want, I read, I remember reading like three or four chapters in the space of 30 minutes. I literally was just speeding <laughs> wow. through. Honestly, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm literally speeding through this. Um, I always admire writers that are able to to go into the minds of so many different characters. It takes a whole lot of life experience to be able to, and do it so eloquently, like Bernadine did um, in Girl, Woman, Other. But I think it's it's more like she she has created this world and I can picture like her bedroom when she was writing this like all over the walls. Like (laughs) she knows who these characters are and Mm. is just so understanding of where they're from and and like the way that she's written it there's sort of an understanding that she's in west africa that Mm -hmm. they are in west africa and and there's lots of conversation about that being the only civilization that survived magic Hmm. and so then it like it it gives you an idea of the possibility of maybe europe having been destroyed by magic or like different parts of the world being destroyed by magic and now they're the own the the last civilization standing um and it's just so beautiful to think of an idea like that you know obviously i'm not saying you know um destroy whatever (laughs) but it's just it's it's really great to see um, that writers can imagine or create a world that um, that doesn't we begin never thought with could exist. Yeah, yes, a exactly. That doesn't begin with suffering. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's so beautiful. 
something that really mm. excites me about that book and they, the concept of it is like it's all based in like Yoruba mythology and like yes you know, and, like, characters. yes and and so finally like the people who have struggled the like the fantasy nerds who have struggled to say African names but can say Daenerys Targaryen and like Voldemort <laughs> I know and now they have to read this book and go like oh you know uh, Abibola, like okay cool let me try and like wrap my head around these fantasy names it's like no no these are real names exactly you, can, you know you finally maybe you have to you have to deliver it in that language of fantasy to kind of like get it through <laughs> what's so disrespectful what's so disrespectful is that like Daenerys Targaryen is such a complex is right? such a complex word because it's spelt it's so not spelt weirdly. the way it's supposed to be said it's not spelt the way it's supposed to be said but African names are spelt the way they're supposed to be uh-huh. said so this yeah. is what confuses me oh my god anyway um, no but seriously pick up Children of Blood and Bone wherever you are if you can find a local bookshop that's open um, right now uh, or you can order in, online obviously. for a lot of them yeah but you know obviously trying to um encourage uh independent bookstores um, no i know I mean, I mean for the independent <laughs> bookstores you can order online for some of them i think some of them oh really can. yeah great yeah. great um yeah please do because children of blood and bone is so great and if you want something for your young nieces and nephews or um cousins and friends to read please um suggest children of blood and bone to them well just because you said for your for your nieces and nephews i bought for my my younger cousins i bought the little leaders um bold women in black history by vashti harrison and it's the funny thing is i bought it for them and i basically said to them you know read the whole thing tell me who your favorite is and i'll give you some money (laughs) trying to bribe (laughs) them to read always yeah and then when i bought the book for them one of my friends bought the book for me so it really does appeal to all ages because it's like it's it's done in the the way it's illustrated is done seemingly for younger for a younger audience but Mm. the information in there is great like if you only know of literally rosa parks (laughs) like you can learn about all these other incredible women in history like we were saying you know our 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 black British and even black world education was so stunted that I think actually mm. sometimes you've got to take a step back and just read a book that lays out the facts for you, even if it feels a bit juvenile, because it's, cause yeah. we're all starting from that position. We're all starting a bit we further are. back than maybe we feel we should be. Yeah, And there's no sure. shame so in like reading a book that is, you know, in terms of literature, like beneath what you would usually read, but the content is exactly what you need right now. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's so important to connect with that. Um, so yeah, definitely you guys should read it. There's also this thing, um, I hadn't told you about this guys, but um, I found this book and it's basically, it's letters compiled by a guy called Sean Usher mm. and it's letters of love. And I found in it a letter from Nelson Mandela to Winnie Mandela oh, that wow. he wrote to her on the 23rd of June in 1969. Guys, it's so great. Like, um, he basically says, um, from this side, you'll have all of my monthly letters, darling. I've written a long letter to Zenny and Zinzi. Take care of Nikki, explaining the position in an attempt to keep them informed and cheerful. Like, it's just so beautiful. Mm. Like, wow. I fa- that I found this, um, especially just as Zinzi had just passed away. Yeah. Um, mm. That these black people were like showing love and affection to their their loved ones and stuff like that and i think these kinds of stories from below need to be told these um um every letter from grandparents every note that someone left for you like we need to save them and store them so we can humanize people and know that they weren't just you know just activists or they weren't just they were humans like us at that you know it's so important to see that side of them oh i was just gonna say um another book that i i was reading which kind of feels it feels in a similar vein um which i cannot recommend highly enough and it's, it sits in such a specific venn diagram of things that i think the three of us are interested in um is zawe ashton you know the actress um whose name yes. i can never pronounce she was uh vod in fresh meat is like the thing that she was maybe most famous for um, she's like a tall mixed race actress. She was in Betrayal at the um, the Pinter recently. Um, oh, you'll, as yeah. soon as you see her, you'll recognize her. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. like Speak she's on absolutely it. like killing it at the moment and doing like she's just put on a play that she's written. But she wrote a um, she's just written her memoir or like a like a, a book that is kind of like a memoir called um, 
Speak character breakdown. And um, yes. it was actually uh, Bernadine Evaristo that, um, that spoke about it when she was on our show. She was like, oh, I read Character Breakdown. I think you guys would really be interested. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, let me store that in the back of my mind. And then lockdown came and I bought the book. So shout out to Bernadine for that. And it was amazing. It's, um, it's basically printed half as a script and half as a prose yep. document. And it like, it like interlocks. So each, each chapter is, is like a scripted experience of her on set as a as a woman as a woman of color as an actress like and the and the experience she had and she's kind of like almost it feels like she's like disassociated from it by like giving the character a different name yeah. and, and being like you know this was the experience i had it was kind of it was formative but it was slightly traumatic but it was slightly this but it was slightly that yeah. and then in between that she writes like prose discussion of kind of her life as well and it's it's amazingly well written and really really insightful and talks about all these different things and i didn't know I kind of because I think for like a lot of people she kind of jumped up for me in Fresh Meat at about like 22, 23 or however old she was but the first instance in the book is her doing her first acting gig when she's like five years old or something and she's mm. been acting like non-stop since then and so she talks about the fact that like one of the one of the one of the, the things that she talks about is so interesting is her first kiss her first kiss ever yes. was a televised kiss interesting yes that, but it, it she had to kiss this this actor on set, you know, another guy who was like 14, 15, and there were like 30 people on set watching. And, you know, this is mm-hmm. in the days before um, before intimacy coaching and all of that other stuff. So it was very much like she was just kept. And she it's it's interesting because she doesn't she doesn't play it as if it was this kind of tragic event. She's very on. She's very honest about it. And she's like, you know, at the time, like I just I was like any other teenage girl. I was terrified to kiss a boy yeah. in general. And uh. it was magnified by the fact that I knew there were going to be. 20 people watching me and I was in my trailer completely alone without anyone telling me like oh it's this it's this like don't worry and she was Mm. like and it's but it's it's fascinating and I really really cannot recommend it highly enough it's really nice it's a really well-written book you you always have a way of selling it selling everything (laughs) everything I'm always like yeah put that in my car yeah (laughs) but honestly that's that's great and as a black this book this book have you got it? It, it? it was so triggering. Yeah, no, I read it. I've read it. Uh, yeah. Like I've read it. Um, <laughs> my company manager, actually, my company manager was actually her company manager at some point a while no. back. And and when he saw me reading it, um, he was like, "Oh my god, I know her. She's a good friend of mine. I'll text her that you're reading it." And I was like, "Yes, please. <gasps> I would love to meet her." Yeah. Dude, like this book was so triggering, Vanessa. It was so triggering. <laughs> yeah. Every single moment I was reading it, like there was even, again, um, I hope this isn't spoiling it, but there, there's like a scene, right? Because she writes it like this. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where she is um, having a headshot taken, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the person who's taking the headshot is like a photographer from like a, a while back. They used yeah, to be a model. Yeah, yeah. And so the way that they're, they're treating her is very much like... Uh, Oh, that, that's your good side. Oh, that's your bad. Like, it, it's so, like, blasé about mm. the fact that she doesn't feel comfortable in this right. situation. And I was like, how many headshots have you had done where it's just so awkward and you're sat there <laughs> and someone's staring at you and going, no, try something different. Yeah, right. No, don't work. <laughs> God. Yeah. You're, well, they're it's not, just quite not working. Like excited about the pictures. Like, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like it, it's almost like they're um, just belittling you with every single picture taken. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, and she's she's done this so so well. So you should yeah. definitely read this book. I mean, for right. anyone that cares, her birthday is the day after mine. So that's we're obviously kindred spirits. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, other than other than reading, what else have you guys been doing to just seek joy during this time? It's a good question. Have you been watching anything? <laughs> have you question. been seek it oh, out? Listen to anything? About, we've got to talk about the thing that we've all been watching. Oh yes. my god! Okay, first of all, yes, I was so yes. late to the party as I always am. You were so late. I'm so, so surprised late. that you were that late. But I'm glad that I got to watch it all. I just binged it all. Ooh. Should we just, should we, mm-hmm. Stevenson, so you, do you want to reveal what we're talking about? Oh yeah, um, Michaela Cole's <laughs> I May Destroy You, uh, BBC, HBO yeah. co-production. Um, it's huge, it's it's great. I, I mean, we'll we'll do, we'll be spoiler free because, you know, maybe yeah. people haven't come across it. And it's one of those things, I think, you know, sometimes when your community is very singularly focused, like everyone I know is tweeting mm-hmm. about it, but that doesn't yeah. mean that everyone yes. is watching it. And so I don't want to be like, oh, you've all seen it, so this, but um, yeah, 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 for sure. 
Michaela Cole of Chewing Gum fame. Um, if you guys, you guys will again. She's one of those people who, as soon as you see her, you should recognize her. Um, you may not, yeah. but you know, you, you may. She's 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 kind of blowing up at the moment. She's made this new TV show, I guess, kind of in the vein of like girls, kind of in the vein of Fleabag, but kind of in the vein of like mm-hmm. something else altogether as well. And she's yeah. it's it's a story about her um, a, a fictionalized version of herself, or you know, not even a, a whole new character that she she stars in as well, um, based on an yeah. event that happened in her life, um, which I guess we won't even spoil that. But it kind of discusses. Um, what it's like to be someone in your late 20s living in London kind of without a rudder not really knowing what you're doing but just getting by but you've got your yeah. friends around you who are all kind of hustling at the same time and it just feels like a very no holds barred um, honest and gritty and fun but also tragic display of humanity really doesn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah absolutely absolutely and what um I May Destroy You did for me during this period is the same thing that Candice Carty Williams did for me in Queenie. Like mm-hmm. they managed to write the truth about about London and yeah. the experience of London. It was so visceral when I was reading Queenie and I, I knew that she was talking about Brixton and what part of Brixton she was talking about and, and where she was walking. <laughs> and I May Destroy You kind of like visualize that. Like mm. the, the London experience is something that's so like idealized by people from all over the world and they'll only talk about specific places but then uh, the way Michaela Cole wrote about it was almost like a a, a love story to the London that we know that Londoners mm. know you know what I mean yeah. the, the London that Londoners experience and I think that's so dope man like it's it's incredible I think um, obviously the show is incredible and again to avoid spoilers I won't I won't talk too much about it but what I will say is that end episode, incredible. Yeah. But before yep. that, the episode before that with um, the actress uh, Michelle Greenridge that played her mum, the acting mm-hmm. in that last scene, incredible. Yeah. Just a masterclass in how you say everything without saying anything. Mm-hmm. Without incredible. saying anything. Incredible. But also I just think, you know, Michaela Cole has what I like to call the Lin-Manuel effect of just yes. write it, produce it, star <laughs> in it, just do it yourself. Yeah. And it's such a, it's like the same reason why I love Beyonce. Like I love Beyonce because she's great, but I love her because of the dedication to the craft more than anything. Yes. Control, if I met Beyonce, yeah. it would be less about, oh my God, she's famous and more about talk to me about the artistry and that's what I the love artistry, about Michaela Cole. Yeah. It's she's literally, you know, an artist like us who has just created her own lane. Yeah. And when people do that, it gives you permission to do it yourself as well. Yeah. Mm, and that's yeah. this just the most incredible thing. So to empowering that isn't it? Yeah. So empowering. Mm-hmm. The casting of the the you know, the, as you were saying Stevenson, the the, the black UK talent the, the British talent that she's included in that casting is incredible. Yes. Yeah. It's so relatable. Yeah. Um, there's a scene the where she goes back into 2004. Again, this isn't a spoiler. Oh man! Because how good was it's that in, episode? It's, Gosh, yeah, it's in, the, it's in the it's in the description, so that's not a spoiler. But it was so relatable. The nostalgia. It was yeah. so authentic. I was like. Someone told me about the episode before I saw it, and I was like, okay. And then I looked, and I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that was me in year seven. That was literally <laughs> in year seven. That's exactly Incredible. how we how we acted. Yeah, Everything. and also like there's a there's a scene when an auntie comes comes to their house to the family home mm. and that scene was so relatable because there so are so nice. many situations where an auntie will come and be like hey i knew you from when you were and you're right. like uh-huh yeah. uh-huh mm-hmm. yeah you just it's have a nod and so, smile don't like, you? <laughs> do you remember yeah the, she yeah, captured sure. that so well like literally there was just silence in the room for ages and ages and i was like <laughs> yes why are you reading my mind? Honestly. That's the silence that I have with all the aunties that come to the house. <laughs> Honestly, it was, yeah, just the whole thing is so relatable. And by relatable, I mean, I know it's not going to be relatable to everyone. By relatable, I mean relatable to me. <laughs> okay? Yeah, and but yes, I haven't that, had you enough know, Do you know what it is? It's, it's authentic, that. isn't it? It's, it's authentic. Yeah. Like, for the first time, to it's me. an authentic kind of thing. Do you know one thing I will say though, Sharon, that you were saying it's like it represents the London, like the real London. And I a hundred percent agree. And I think 
it was so triggering to me that I couldn't watch. Like when you were saying, be like, you were happy to save it up so you could binge it. I was like, two episodes was my limit and I needed a week to process that because like <laughs> yeah. all of your, because yeah. you know, it just you see the London where like all your friends are constantly on the verge of just like, like, I don't know if I'm going to have a job next week. I don't know what Honestly. I'm doing. Like, yeah. And then you meet, you all meet up and you all go like, yeah, things are great. Things, we're all having such a good time. And I'm like, oh, like yeah. it's so, it's so, it's, it's and I so feel like stressful. London is like that, like no other place where you're just like, if you're not keeping up with the flow because it flows so fast, like you feel like you're yeah. suddenly drowning, you know? Yes, One of her, her best friends an actress. and actress. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Sharon. Yes. <laughs> All of the acting yeah, the it, scenes where she's got auditions and whatever, oh, I'm just creasing because I'm like, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's exactly how it feels. Like, mm. and, and I just, that kind of London where you just go to a cafe and you sit, but when you sit, there are just a million things happening at mm. the same damn time, like both in your mind and in the city. Like, I just love how she captured that so beautifully. Yeah. Are you guys, have you guys been watching or listening to anything else? Have you guys uh, been taking up any strange hobbies during lockdown? I've, I've gone back in time with my, that's why it took me so long to watch I May Destroy You because I am a big fan of the old school African-American sitcoms and they just feel like home to me. So I've gone back. I've gone back and mm. I've watched yeah. the Moesha. I watched Girlfriends for the first couple of weeks in lockdown. I watched every single season. And then I went and I'm watching yeah, Malcolm man. and Eddie at the moment. I mean, I've literally gone all the way back. What's really interesting is that yeah. um, there's so many references to police brutality and racism. And it's all done with humour. But I yeah. mean, wow. it's like back in the 90s, there's so many references then, like... You know, even in Fresh Prince, Jazz has a scene where they're in the courtroom and he holds his oh, hand yeah. up and he's like, nope. And it's just watching it is kind of like, wow, still <laughs> still going through that. But it helps you laugh through it. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the nostalgic watches for me have been key to getting through this mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sharon, what I about you? you? For me, it's been... I've... <laughs> I have watched a lot of TV. Like naturally, I watch a lot of TV, and I do it. I always say that it's for research, but usually it's just <laughs> like as a form of distraction. Uh, because um, if you leave me alone with my own thoughts, it's 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 a madness. But um, I have been like doing my own hair a lot. I've been writing a lot and just putting things together that I never had the time to put together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Before yeah. I didn't have time to 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 braid my hair and actually sit in for the thirteen hours it takes to braid a black girl's hair. <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's just yeah. been so much fun to to just do that kind of stuff, man. I I haven't had time mm. to do that in a while. So yeah. What about you, Stevenson? Yeah, similarly. I mean, I haven't been braiding my own hair, but um, everything else. <laughs> Why? Kind of, um, Why not? I do. This is true. Um, but no, I've been I've been writing. Um, I've been, you know, reading little bits here and there. I've been kind of just, just kind of trying to chill a bit. Yeah, great. I hope that people, you know, in general are able to take the time. And I know that not all situations and not all financial situations or social situations will allow for that. But whenever possible, I do hope that some of the positive stuff we take away from this pause in society is that you don't always have to be hustling. You don't always have to be moving. And actually, sometimes the time you take for yourself is the most beneficial time long term anyway. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Generation Vex, this lockdown special episode. Um, (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed it (laughs) and we hope that you, depending on where you are in your journey, if you're trying to um, activate your activism, we hope that we've given you enough. Yeah, yeah. We hope that we've given you (laughs) some tools where you can do that. And if you are also just trying to seek some joy in this time, we hope that we've given you the tools for that also. as always, please stay in communication with us. You can follow us um, yeah. at Generation Vex on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or you can follow us individually. I am at Vanessa Fisher Actress on Instagram. 
And I am at Sharon Rose Live on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Stevenson underscore LTD on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, so please do give us a rating or a review. Let us know your thoughts because we'd really appreciate it. And as I said, we just we want to keep the communication channels open and keep supporting each other through this time. Um, and you can sign up to our newsletter to be kept in the loop because we've got some exciting stories for you on there. The link will be in our episode description below. Definitely completely agree with you, Vanessa. And if, like us, you're feeling fired up about racism in the UK and all over the world and supporting black communities, then here are some ways you can help. Support black-owned bookshops like Roundtable Books, New Beacon Books and Books Love Carnival. Uh, Support black writers, buy the books from your local bookshop or borrow from your library. Donate to the Black Curriculum, UK Racial Justice Fund or other organisations of your choice. Generation Vex is produced with the support of Green Door Pictures. Yay, thank you, Green Door. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Green Door. Thank you, guys, so much for listening. We love you so much. Keep reading. Hey. Stay blessed. Speak to you later. Bye.